It's an awesome regular season, season full of history and a lot of fun. But still, success, failure, glory, history, the history that matters most is all made after the regular season ends. You know, that to me is where they're at. Are they going to be the team that celebrates the regular season and treats the postseason as, well, whatever happens, happens, see you at spring training? Or are they going to be a team that says, we are not happy with this trend line? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Join this week. Do you just want to introduce yourself, name, rank, serial number? Hey, everybody. Um, ben Fredrickson here. And, uh, and yeah, here we are to break down a season that is— um, It broke down. That broke down. We were thought we were going to be doing the, uh, the NLDS preview the next time we talked, and— uh, turned into a season wrap-up podcast i mean did we we did think we were going to be doing an nlds preview right i thought we, i thought we were we did i i thought yes i thought i thought so you know the phillies kind of lumbered into the post now they had two strong pitchers uh wheeler and nola and in a three-game series that can tilt the balance um but you figured that the cardinals would have enough at home you know players playing better pitching creative creatively but also they had quality pitchers lined up as well so you thought that they would have the edge not so is the biggest reason the ninth inning of game one or the fact that all three runs that the cardinals got were driven in by people who came off the bench to do so i think the offense to me is the story of the of the series loss um clearly the ryan helsley issue was the story of game one i i don't believe that that issue you know toxicified game two I, i'm not buying that I, mm-hmm. I think if if nolan arenado hits the home run that bryce harper hits in the game two then you know ryan helsley's situation all of a sudden might be a bigger story for the postseason and where the cardinals go but it's not the reason they lost yeah. the series to the phillies to me i mean what what was what was apparent in both games ryan helsley's troublesome middle finger was not a factor in both games it was a factor in one the offense not being able to find ways to consistently score runs in any way shape or form that was a story in both games um you know juan yapez plays the hero role off the bench with a pinch hit two-run homer in game one and that's it um and then you have of course the shutout in game two they got another another run in there from a rookie off the bench in Nolan Gorman, but to me the the lack of situational hitting, the, the the lack of finding a way, which is what I mean. How many times have we seen it already in this postseason? The way of getting a run across, scratching a run, doing something to to put one on the board. That to me is the story because it was prevalent in both games. Um, yeah, the the Ryan Helsley situation, and we well, I'm sure we'll talk about it. It's why they lost Game One. But the offense. All right, you're already reaching for the. <laughs> it's it. liquid death, everybody. It's uh, it's water. All right, it's a little water. I I knew that we were gonna probably have like a few filibusters. So I'm like, I I <laughs> brought the water. Hell, I don't want to minimize the Helsley thing because I think it was a I think it was a mistake. I think it cost the Cardinals dearly. But to me, the offense and the bigger trend of the offense in the postseason now, eight of their last 15 games in the postseason where they've scored one run or none. That to me is the bigger story. And then Helsley's right there as number two. Since they beat the Braves in the NLDS in 2019 in full season postseasons, meaning not 2020, so non-pandemic shortened season, they're hitting 140 as a team 
I mean, that's overwhelming, and they're not slugging much better than that. And you mentioned manufacturing runs. I mean, there is that element to the postseason, but there's also Manny Machado going deep, and there's you got to hit home runs. There's Bryce Harper hitting, you know, who beat the Cardinals with a home run. I mean, and it's not just home. You have to hit for damage. Let me put it that way. You have to you have to slug. You have to hit doubles and homers, and you have to scare, you know, strike fear in the other team by just overwhelming them so that you don't need to string a lot of hits together because what you don't do in the postseason is string a lot of hits together. The Cardinals got, when they weren't down by four runs, so when they had the lead or when they were tied, the Cardinals got two runs off one swing in 18 innings against the Phillies. That's that's an absence of offense that should really really trouble them that should absolutely trouble them yeah i mean they scored in three of the 18 innings um you look at what paul goldschmidt and nolan arenado did collectively that kills you look at what you know lineup spots two through two through five did that that kills you to me it's yeah it's power plays in the postseason i get it but you know, Bryce Harper helps push the Cardinals out with a home run that's still flying here in St. Louis. <laughs> and then I turn on the game the other night, and there he is laying down a bunt. Right. And it wasn't a great bunt. But, and, I'm not, and I'm not like Mr. Bunt. My point is, like, there has to be a desperation to that's your, to your offense yes. in the postseason. And these guys, they don't have that. They, they kind of seem to still want to bet on, well, this is how we do it. Well, how you do things in the postseason, it has to change. And are you not doing it because you won't or because you can't? It doesn't matter. You didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there's really something there's something to that. I mean, we saw this offense at times. I mean, Mike Schilt, you know, 19, it was – or, you know, 2020, they make the, 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 the winning streak. And there was a constant kind of push-pull of – like okay, the offense, yeah, we want to hunt for power, we want to punish, but we also have to be situational and the right. And it was like that constant, and I think that's still going on mm-hmm. with this team. Um, I mean, look at how many chances they had to get get a run across in game two. Um, you had a lot of well, the middle of the order. I mean, they yeah, were Mark starts the game with yeah. I, it's, it's ruled a single, but it was a double. He's on second base. Your fastest runner right there, you know, on the pond. Bring it. Find a way mm-hmm. to bring him in. How many times did we see a guy in that game work a walk after going down two strikes? Push a ball through. I mean, Pujols did it. Yadi did it. Biggest biggest pressure pack situation in the game. And then there was no follow up punch. It was just oh, you know, that guy's going to go on first base or second base and never to be heard from again and the 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 next hit wasn't there yeah Um, the next right thing offensively wasn't there and you know yeah the phillies are a homer happy team and they benefited from the homer but they didn't win game one with home runs and the 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 insurance run they got in game two that they ended up not needing was a sacrifice fly Mm -hmm. from the guy who hit the most homers all season yeah that's the kyle schwarber does just does just does his job and in that moment, and right there, his job is to not have to hit a home run. It's just drive a ball deep, get it in the air, let a guy score, and he does it. And that is the is the switch that I didn't see the Cardinals come up with. And I think it's telling that, you know, you see Albert, you see Yachty go to bat in their last at-bats of their career, and what do they do? They find a way to keep the game Same. alive, yeah. and no one else does. So Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt with runners on base in Game 2 go 0 for 6 with five strikeouts. Is that the hitter or is that the hitting approach? 
I think there's two things going on with those with that. I think what we saw with Goldschmidt was a continuation of what we've seen from him in September. Yeah. That looked like more of his slide magnified. He didn't – they insist he's healthy. You know, we're not in his body. He doesn't look right. looks like he's not seeing the ball well. Swinging at pitches that he never swings at. Swinging at a pitch on the dirt in one of those at-bats after seeing it walk. previously. It would have yeah, been a walk. It, it wasn't – it wasn't – he looked – didn't look like himself. Mm-hmm. Nolan, I, I mean, they, this is small sample size theater. I think there's something real, and it's becoming a real story. Like where he, I think he presses a little bit in the postseason. I, I think he, I think he wants it so bad. And I mean, you saw in the, in the, I, I told these fans on, in the chat the other day, that's told that comment. You know, there was the crowd of hold these guys accountable, and I said, guys. I said, Nolan Arnato is crying in the clubhouse. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's something that can be said or written or tweeted to yeah. Nolan Arnato that's going to make him feel worse than he does. He knows what happened. He, he brought it up. Like, he, he not only went, yeah, they, they both brought it up. Goldschmidt looked like, you know, just looked like he'd seen a ghost. Mm-hmm. And they're going to tear themselves up all offseason about this. But until, I mean, with Nolan, there's more of a, I think you look at his career, it's still small sample size but it's growing and he's a quiet player offensively in the playoffs and his plan here is to play in a bunch of playoffs as long as he's going to be around and I think I think he will be but flipping that narrative gets harder the longer it gets and I just think there was some I think we saw some signs of him really trying to do too much I, I think this since I hate using that phrase because it's like the easiest thing in the world but I think this offense fell back into that habit of and it's not hey, go chase your numbers, or hey, go try to get your home runs up. I think it's the opposite of that. I think it's every player was feeling the weight of trying to win the game. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's, hey, let me go save this for us. When That's that's a that's a hard way to play. When you feel like every at-bat, you've got to try to win the game, instead of every at-bat, just do what you need to do in that situation. I think that, I think they fell into kind of hero ball, and I think, I think Arenado did. That way he reacted on that ball that he thought was out said a lot he mm-hmm. rounds first base he thinks it's out he f- takes his helmet off in frustration he stops and then like stands on first base as if like as if he wanted them to challenge it like yeah, he was in the yeah, out- yeah. outfielder's glove and that was i think that moment to me said a lot about Raises his just arms and how is this happening yeah, yeah. how is this happening again yeah. and it continued to did you think back to the beginning of the 2021 season, uh, Arnado's first season with the Cardinals, and that first month as he and Goldschmidt kind of, you know, they uh, Arnado and, and Goldschmidt both talked about how they just never got going at the same time, really. They, they wanted to see what the lineup was like. But there was really kind of a sluggish start to both of them. And you remember, like, Schilt was talking about how pull-happy the entire lineup became just pull happy and some of the thought internally was that that was a response to how the ballpark plays bush stadium they that they just felt like they were connecting for ball and i wouldn't even looked you know like how many of the baseballs that they hit what would be you know home runs in other ballparks if they played at wrigley what would it be like if they played at cincy which i recently looked at judge he'd hit more than 70 home runs if he played at cincinnati um this past year um no no surprise to anybody if he had played at bush stadium he wouldn't have hit 60 so you know the thought was that they just became so pull conscious because that was the only notion of how to drive the ball out of the ballpark at bush and that that just they made them one-dimensional 
it was in small like that happened immediately after Arenado's home run ball didn't leave for a home run the thought was in the ballpark in the dugout you know on the broadcast everywhere that ball is gone because you've seen it a hundred times leave the bat at that angle at that speed his reaction the outfielder's reaction all right that's that's a home run that's his moment that's his october arrival here you go and then it falls short and then he comes up later tags a ball and because alec Baum is six foot ten or whatever he steals a hit from him and it's like one more time i mean that ball's a double with justin turner at third base that ball's a double maybe with nolan arenado at third base but because alec Baum is plastic man over there you know it, it he steals a hit um well probably not with arenado but definitely with some of the other guys maybe not with brian hayes but all the other third basemen you know aren't tall enough to make that play but you could kind of see that building like okay do you have to pull the ball to get it out of the ballpark this time of year harper did do you have what do you have to do how how do you force yourself to hit it that much harder uh, now you're out of sync and it seemed like with the exception of saying newt bar and yepes coming off the bench or a few individuals that that consumed the offense they were like well how do we generate we have to do that much more we have to pull it that much harder and Wheeler and Nola are like, all right, cool. Well, we'll enjoy this, right? I mean, it was like, it was like that just seized the offense. That's my favorite verb for what this offense can do. And I think we saw that over the course of the season. 17 times this offense got shut out this year. If you look at the other teams that got shut out 15 or more times, they're not offenses you want yours to be compared to. And they are not offenses that the Cardinals compare to in any other category other than shutouts. How does a lineup that has Nolan Arenado, that has Paul Goldschmidt, that has the second half that Albert Pujols get together, how does it get shut out 17 times? That, that's, that should be a huge number for this, for this team. And, you know, people can interpret that as, as whining about Jeff Albert, whatever. I mean, I don't care. He's clearly done some great things for this team, and I don't think he's there's he's going anywhere. They seem very committed to him, but if you're if they're not looking at that number and going, how does that happen? Then that's a problem because 17 times you go to the ballpark and your offense doesn't find a way to create a run is is pretty telling, especially when it's happened. You know, it's happens a lot in the playoffs. Like I said, eight times last 15 games, one or or no runs. So. And I'm not denying that power is good. I'm not denying that home runs are great. I love home runs, but okay, what do you do if they're not if they, you don't have them? Mm-hmm. You can't if there's there's going to be games where you don't hit home runs. And are those are are you just resigning your offense to those being games you lose? Um, other teams in the playoffs that are as good, if not better, at the Cardinals at hitting home runs are saying no. We will also do other things in the postseason. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that. It's why Bryce Harper bunts, because he he doesn't like how his swing feels. My God, he liked how it felt here. Yeah. But he'll he'll put I mean, and I'm not I'm not not advocating for the bunt, but I'm talking about if you don't if you're undervaluing situational hitting in the playoffs, that's as that's as short sighted as undervaluing bullpens in the playoffs. Like things change. And and if you're not going to if you're not going to adjust your offense and your approach in the playoffs, there's a good chance you're going to run into some pitchers that you can't hit home runs against and you're going to lose. What did you make of Albert batting second in both playoff games, and do you think that contributed at all to the offense 
I didn't like it when I saw it. Um, but then again, if you look at his production compared to the guy I would have had up there, Donovan, then Donovan did nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is that using hindsight? Well, he would have gotten hit if he was batting at the top. Well, yeah, you don't. Know. I don't I know. Mean, he would have pitched differently because he had Goldschmidt behind. But who knows? Albert Albert came up big. You know, with with the game on the line. Um, I nobody, mean, against nobody, two left, since two right-handed pitchers, it would have gone left, left, right, right. So as opposed to three like-minded right-handed. I, I would have liked Albert at two against lefties. Mm. I wouldn't have done it against righties. Um, it's, I can't sit here and say that's the reason they didn't produce. I mean, the reason they didn't win is because they're the guys who make the biggest salaries didn't hit. I mean, it says we can get as as deep down into the rabbit hole as we want and we probably will and we often do but you know it's the old cliche the guys got up the guys the stars have to be stars when the when the stage is there and you know you aren't gonna have very many teams who have multiple guys who receive mvp ballots who have you know ghosts in the postseason and Mm -hmm. and their team wins you can get another guy to be a star for a moment juan yapez but you're not going to win. Eddie Rosario. You're not going to win. David Freeze. Multiple series like that. I mean, right. your your big guys have to produce, and and they didn't. Figuring out why I think is important on two levels. I think Arenado. I really. It's so hard. The postseason is so. The postseason is a small sample size. So, but I do think there's something to be okay. What is there something there? A gear that he gets into that is almost harming him in the postseason. I think he's got to look at that. Only he can answer that. With Goldschmidt, it's like they got to figure out what happened mm-hmm. in September. Maybe they know and they're not sharing. Maybe it's – I don't know. But figuring out what happened and what couldn't be rescued there as that slide happened I, I think is important if you're going to – and you are betting on him to be a, a, a key player for this thing moving forward. I mean, if it was just one postseason – it's not that big a deal, but that was a pretty sustained, extended slide there for him. I mean, he's still going to win, I would imagine, National League MVP. And you look at his September, and it's there's no power. Right. The lights went out. Yeah, two home runs, yeah. I mean, I would be curious, like, how many guys have won the MVP if he does and had as, as bad of a September as he did? Yeah, our, how good he was beforehand. Our colleague, Benjamin Hockman, looked into that, and he found that not many MVPs have had a single month like Goldschmidt had a September. And in fact, you know, it was one of the lowest, um, pro- least productive Septembers. Like, and you're looking at like, like McCutcheon back in 2013, Barry Larkin back um, when he won it. Um, obviously, pitchers aren't part of the equation, but he looked at those those months. And, you know, however, it would, would the research that he did kind of pointed out that like the, the Goldschmidt will be the rarity and the fact that he didn't have the furious finish that usually clinches an MVP or gets a lot of attention for MVP conversation. It's worth noting here, quick aside, MVP ballots are due before the first pitch of the postseason. While they're announced after the postseason, the ballots are already in before there's a first pitch, having been one of the last ballots in for years um it's in there before the first pitch uh so you have no knowledge of the of the postseason how do they we let me let me start here before we like as an entry point into how how they improve on this or what they do different or new how they become a better team in 2013 or i'm sorry 2023 because this postseason and the schedule for next season really ought to force them to change in in new directions but let's start here 
How did you view their offense? Did you view their offense as isolated around Goldschmidt and Arenado as they go, the team went, or did you find it more balanced or did you find it Pujols centric? How did you see their offense through the course of the regular season? I saw it as Goldschmidt and Arenado with, um, what's that game? You know that you'd play where you had to. It's like the memory game where you can flip over the tiles. Mm-hmm. So I saw those two as the cogs with like flipping tiles around them okay. of who's performing well. And I, I thought Ollie did a very good job this season of, okay, this guy's tra- okay. Donovan's moving up, moving up, moving up. Okay, he's struggling. Okay, let's back him off, back him off, back him off. And okay, Edmonds up. And then I thought I thought it worked because that's how this team is. You're going to have players who have to be there every single day producing. Mm-hmm. And then you have other guys who are in different stages of their careers who are coming on the scene or perhaps fading from it or or you know going through the ups and downs you're going to have as a young player. So that's kind of how I viewed it is the cogs and then the rotation around the the nucleus of the of the lineup and then Albert became one of the cogs. I mean he hit himself into being the third mm-hmm. the third cog and and I thought that could that could play um, in, in the postseason, but I also think we didn't see some of this. We, we, we saw signs of when they were playing well, they, they were more dynamic. They were more versatile. Um, they were also hitting home runs, and that mm-hmm. covers up a lot of uh, that covers up a lot of, of, of pain points. But when you got three and Albert became a legitimate third, then, then you got a shot. But you know when they when this offense has been bad, this is what it has looked like, where it can just grind to a halt and mm-hmm. that that to me is you know it seems like the cardinals have guys every team has guys who get off track offensively sure it does seem like this team has guys who get off track and really struggle to get back on it i mean it seems like they're dylan carlson dylan carlson paul goldschmidt in september um i mean paul DeYoung has spent years in the wilderness now matt um, carpenter going back totally um well, i don't know why that is and I don't know that they, if they knew, I think they'd try to get to work of fixing it. Maybe some of it's the pressure of of playing here. People can scoff at that if they like, but there's just not another place where you're going to play where every swing, every at bat is hyper analyzed, hyper analyzed by the fans, by the media, because other places have other stuff <laughs> that cycles in and out of the attention span. I mean, right. it's it is. I think there's something to be said to that for that, but it but it's it's it just seems like the this this. The, the seizes they last longer here for some guys and and I don't know how they how they get out of that how they figured their way out of that obviously one of the things that you can do to help it is to get more guys who are key cogs and that alleviates pressure on on the other guys um, those those players they're harder to come by they cost more um, everybody wants them so that's a that's a that's a heftier way to, to go but it it's also the best way to do it. In doing the MVP ballot, to, to spring off of that, you know, you, one thing stands out is there there were three 100-win teams in the National League. There are the Mets. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, three. Mets, Atlanta, and Dodgers. Uh, Mets got swept by the Atlanta at the end there, so they bumped into the division series um, and had to be – I'm sorry, bumped out of the division series the into the wild card. Cardinals fans feel better. I guess, but – in looking at the MVP ballot and something stands out is the Mets had Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor, who's going to get MVP votes and a batting champ in Jeff McNeil, who might get batting, cha- might get MVP votes maybe, but 
won the batting title. The Braves have Riley and Swanson, both of whom are going to get MVP votes, and Matt Olson, who is right there on the cusp of getting some MVP votes. Oh, and Harris, who's going to win the Rookie of the Year, likely, unless his teammate Strider does. Dodgers, go out there. There are going to be at least three Dodgers who finish rather high in the MVP voting in Betts, Freeman, and Trey Turner. And Turner may not appear on ballots, or he may appear like in the top five on ballots. But he is a remarkable player. The Cardinals are going to have two, Arenado and Goldschmidt. To be a hundred win team, don't they need don't they need a, a third? Don't they is that the new rule? Is if you're going to be among the National League elite, do you need three to be part of your offense? Because I can make the case that when the Cardinals were at their best, Albert Pujols was the third. Yeah. And that's when they look like a team that could make noise in the postseason. But these other teams had three guys who are going to be appearing all over MVP ballots. The Cardinals can't say that. No, the road gets the road gets harder, and the postseason gets harder. Pujols is gone, so yeah, I mean you can absolutely make that case. To me, I'm to the point where it's like it's either one or the other. Either the the hitters you have are not talented enough, or the instruction they're getting is not bringing out the best in them. The Cardinals seem to very much decided, okay. Anyone who questions Jeff Albert needs to be shunned, and, and that there can be no conversation of maybe things that can be done better there. Okay, it's their team. Like they decide who they employ and who they don't. Go get him better hitters. Then I mean, make him prove prove to people that this will work. That mm-hmm. this that this philosophy does work. That this is the modern way. Okay, if if you got, if you're going to be a home run or bust team, then go get more guys who hit home runs. <laughs> go get you know you passed on Kyle Schwarber. Hit the most home runs in baseball. Mm. You know, you, you talked yourself out of of making any serious push for Bryce Harper because you thought Tyler O'Neill was going to be the smart person's Bryce Harper. He's hurt all the time. Bryce Harper knocked you out of the playoffs. Um, so yeah, there's 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 an opening there for if they're serious about trying to reverse this trend of you know appearance only postseasons that they need they need more help and they should because what do we see across baseball? Cardinals, two in attendance, tons of sellouts this year. The Pujols, Albert Pujols did more for this team than his contract tenfold. I mean, in terms yeah. of t- tickets, right. ticket sales and attendance and merch moved. And I mean, they should reinvest the Pujols Palooza into improving the roster post Pujols. Because if this team doesn't have Albert um, and it's not, it's not producing runs and it's not going to be as much of a draw. They, they should and can spend that money, and they should because look at the postseason. It's getting harder. I mean, you, getting there is getting easier. Doing anything once you're there is getting harder. And also look at how the schedule is going to change. I mean, the Cardinals, they beat up on losing teams this year. It's going to get harder now with the way the schedule changes. I, I don't even like to bring that up with the postseason, though, because I saw some of that, oh, the well, the, the Cardinals only beat bad teams. That's why they got exposed. against The Phillies only beat bad teams. Mm-hmm. The Phillies are a lot like the Cardinals. They only beat bad teams, and they suck on the road. Mm-hmm. They also had a losing road record, and they came to Bush like the Cardinals and knocked these guys out. They had the same record on the road, 40 yeah. and 41, yeah. and, and they still came in here and, and pushed out the Cardinals. So that should be a reality check. And even if the Phillies go on to beat the Braves, the Phillies are not the Nationals, and I don't. Uh, maybe they're not going to be 
they're not going to go on to win the World Series. I'd be shocked if they do. If they do, even then, okay, you can use that whole buzzsaw line once. You can't use it twice. Mm-hmm. You know, losing to the team that that won the World Series can give you a little bit of uh, an argument one time, and then the second time, it's well, you should have learned your lesson. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. the the Wait, why aren't you that team? Right? Why aren't you that team? The teams look back. Oh, well, it's not so bad. We lost to the team that won the Worlds. Maybe you want to be that team. And, and getting just absolutely sawed in half by the Nationals in the nineteen NLCS is really the only thing the Cardinals have to be proud about in a long time. Um, beating the Braves in the two thousand nineteen LDS, woohoo! Throw a parade for it. You haven't done anything since then. And you've either missed the postseason before then, or you've been, you know, in and out of a wild card game or series since then. And you know, this—it's crazy to me. How many times have we talked about this on the podcast? So, what's the expectation for this team? Where the official motto of the team from the front office directly has become "Get in and hope to get hot." Mm-hmm. As if, like, the Cardinals have developed a very bad habit of celebrating their season before the postseason starts. That's not what Cardinals baseball is supposed to be about. Mm. You shouldn't be shouldn't be complimenting yourself on a great regular season and then just surrendering to the oddity of the postseason because the way the postseason is trending now, that's a good way of not being around it very long. Can they do they need to dial up then expect like do they need to say, Okay, we built a roster to win to the division. This off season, do they need to go we built a roster to finish first or second in the National League? Well, they need a better roster because they are losing a, two very important players. Yeah, no. and they've got, you know, they've got lots of evidence that suggests that they should take the goodwill that was invested in them from their fans and be serious about getting after it. They, they've never once said, "Hey, we're a team that's going to to, to not try to compete while we." And they can't because they've got Goldschmidt and Arenado. I mean, their now is still now. Um, how do they? How do they go about trying to, you know? Trying to build a team that belongs, you know, more than one round into the playoffs. I, I, I'll be curious what they say if they ever get around to kind of previewing the off season because there just seems to be a growing disconnect between the fans who expect this team to to get back toward competing for a World Series championship and the team, which I think thinks a lot of people are just okay with having a good regular season and, and letting the playoffs be completely random and. I don't think that's how they should be, but I think there are some people who say that's fine. I don't think I think there's a growing group of fans that says, "Hey, yeah, regular seasons are awesome, and we appreciate that this team doesn't tank, but it can do more than this." Mm-hmm. And they want to hear from the team that they want to do more than just this. Yeah, I I don't know if we'll hear from them. I I mean, like just as we're recording this, they they have no plans to have a press conference they have no plans to to meet with the media that's been kind of their trend here recently if they bow out early and don't have something to come to us to celebrate they they don't say anything and they decline comment um or they decline in in you know interview requests until they show up and surface at the gm meetings and then get frustrated that i'm there too um well that that I guess I shouldn't say that's not widespread. There's a member of the front offices that don't get frustrated, but they, they, maybe this is one that they just avoid. I don't know yet. Uh, I'm trying to figure that out too, that, you know, what kind of preview of this offseason? I mean, begins with Wainwright making a decision 
begins with Arenado making a decision. And then, to me, to change this team, I mean, look, pitching depth is something that we always kind of hammer and has been a big part of the last few seasons. But I just don't think that they can go into 2023 and claim to be a contender without saying this is where we're going to get production from the outfield. You know, they have, over the last really presidential administration plus two years, talked about really since Hayward left. Like, and they traded for Azuna, but they were like, we're going to augment the, we're going to get our our offense from the outfield from homegrown players. We're going to do that, and we're going to clear space for them. Think of all the outfielders that they've traded or let go or you know removed from the roster who have gone elsewhere and been contributors. And it's not to say that the Cardinals have kept guys that haven't been contributors. They have been, but they haven't been carriers. They haven't been guys with the exception of a really good long or really good short stretch by Tyler O'Neill. They haven't been the thunderclap producers that a team needs from the outfield. That's just where they're at. And it's got to come from that outfield kind of DH spot now. The, 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 the decision to make to balance at some point in time to give a little defense, to get a little offense this year, is good in theory, but it doesn't work so well when you don't get that offense. And... Is Juan Yepes that guy? Is Tyler O'Neill on the bounce back? Is Lars Newtbar, who has raised his ceiling quite a bit, you know, is he that guy? Does Dylan Carlson get back on track? And even if Dylan Carlson does get back on track, is he a guy who complements an offense or is he a guy who carries an offense? What the, what the Cardinals need is they need an outfielder who is going to, like, go, hey, Paul, hey, Nolan, let me sidle up beside you and get into this same conversation. That's what other teams have that are contending. And they just did not. And where do they find that guy? Jordan Walker, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. He, maybe he can be part of that. It feels a lot to ask him to be that guy in his rookie season when he's never once played in Memphis. And I know guys go from Springfield to the, major, the pros all the time, or that, you know, double A. But he seems like he seems like he could be that guy soon. And I think there's no one in this outfield right now who says, well, you can't not give him that opportunity because of X. No. I mean, Newbar looks like he's a piece of this thing. What that piece is, we don't, right. we don't know. Um, anyone who says they know is is being premature. People thought they knew what Tyler O'Neill was, and it's been a massively frustrating season for him. Injuries, yes, but not just injuries. Also, really cold stretches at the plate when he was healthy. That sometimes gets. I think sometimes it's well when he's healthy, he's, he hits. Not always. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a. That's 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 a huge question mark. Carlson, I mean, how many chances did he, both he and O'Neill get to take an opportunity and run with it this year? And neither of them really really did. I think Yepes helps this offense, but I don't know where exactly he could be a part of the DH. So yeah, finding that answer to me, it's not as much of an outfield thing as a as a as a somewhere thing. Mm. And I think they the, their flexibility of their team should help them in this. Tommy Edmond can play the outfield. I don't know that you want him to. Maybe he's your shortstop. But if you get a shortstop, maybe he's your second baseman and Brendan Donovan plays in the outfield. Um, you know, Edmond's versatility, Donovan's versatility. Newbar can play any outfield position. They're playing Walker in center field in the Arizona Fall League. I mean, that is Tyler O'Neill can play can play any outfield position. So to me, it's almost like go pick the bat you want 
and then adjust accordingly. It allows you to kind of pick the player you want and then adjust accordingly, but you have to prioritize the guys you have. And then you, you maybe use some of the guys that are down that list to, to trade and make other moves. I, I gravitationally go probably toward catcher. The Cardinals have spent how many years telling us that the catcher is so important. It's a vital cornerstone to their organization. Yachty has been, you know, the unquestioned leader there. And we saw even in the playoffs with that pickoff play, Mm -hmm. how Yachty in his diminished state after such a frustrating year for him still finds a way to make a game-winning, what should have been considered a game-winning play. Should have been. And comes up with what could have been considered one of of the game-winning hits had they won that game. And that's Yachty or Molina. He ain't walking through that door. Do the Cardinals really risk going from a team that has put so much value on that key leader at that position to go from, well, uh, modern modern times, catcher's not all that important. You know, you don't want one of your good hitters playing there because it's too challenging of a physical spot. The automated strike zone is coming, not in 2022, but later. So just kind of let it be a replaceable part. That, to me, is a really would be a really big jump. I still think this team needs a catcher who is a face, who is a, really? a persona. I do. And maybe that makes me an old crank and outdated, <laughs> and and maybe that's maybe that's that's nuts. But it's a tough transition to go from, hey, that's our most important player of the defense, to, eh, you know, that'll be a timeshare, a bunch of guys who are pretty unproven. Well, um, but it doesn't have to be. Like, I mean, they can go get a guy who is no, a – No, I would that's, – that's Wilson Contreras or, or someone who, who – okay, that guy – and that's what my point is. If you get a bat there, that adds to this offense in ways that really haven't happened in a while. Because um, Yachty, you know, his bat, while clutch at times, it was, it's been declining for a while now mm-hmm. after he, you know, worked his tail off to get it to be up above league average. Having a guy who brings something similar – in the leadership and swagger and and tenacity to that spot, but also in his own way, and having it be a guy who can really do damage offensively in this kind of growing era of offensive catchers, to me that's appealing. Wilson Contreras has an edge. He has he 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 likes the idea of being a leader of a team. Hell, he's probably upset the Cubs don't view him as that guy, mm-hmm. and they should, but they're cheap. And they're tanking, so he's got to go now and find a new team. But a guy who can do damage offensively, um, that could that could be something that this offense almost has kind of maybe forgotten can help because yeah. it's it's been such a it's been such a drag on the offense. I mean, positionally, their worst wins above replacement came from catcher position this year. Kisner, it was his shot with he had more starts than Yadi to say, hey, it's. I'm I'm not pushing him out, but I'm ready and making it clear. And he didn't make it clear. He came on strong as the season went along, better. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He didn't to me lock down anything. Um, Herrera, I think people are excited about him, but he's not. He wasn't ready. Yeah. They've got to have a catcher who's ready. And it, I, I do think, just in terms of how I view the Cardinals, and maybe they view this changing. Like the Cardinals need a catcher. They need a catcher, capital C catcher. And right now they don't have one. Yeah, and I, it's an interesting place that they're in because like you're talking about is one way to and this is probably a good thing one way to say okay this is life after albert and yachty is to radically change one of those positions you know like okay go offense first for catching and see what that looks like we've had you know 20 years of watching the cardinals with a defense first catcher even before molina came you know you had 
more than 20 years of it this the, the entire generation has gone you know been born and got its you know is now practicing medicine and has only seen a defense first cardinals catcher so one way to move on from that era is to do so rapidly suddenly and completely differently i don't know if they have that in them you know i i I do get the sense just in how they describe like what herrera has to advance or where kisner has to go that they still prioritize so much of what happens behind the plate not what happens at the plate is Contreras isn't some defensive disaster. He's not. Okay, he's not. He is not. But he's not above he's not, average. He's not Yachty. No, no, that's he, not what I was going to say. That's not what I'm, I mean. He's not, he, he's not average. He's not average. That's what I was going to say. Is he average in the era where framing pitches doesn't matter and, and we're seeing the well, – are we going to get to that spot? Bastardization of the uh, defensive catcher? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know, but to, I mean, I, I hear you, but I also think of like I don't. The catcher is becoming something where every prospect that is that can hit, they move out of, and every. I mean, it's kind of it's. I hate this because I I, I love the position. It's kind of trending toward becoming a glorified backstop. Well, that's the been the concern. Yeah, the other night they're talking about well, Bassett needs to have the wristband on so he can call his pitches himself. Just give the umpire a mitt. Mm-hmm. Like he's not calling balls and strikes in twenty twenty three any in twenty twenty four anyway, so yeah. he can just catch too. I mean, like, yeah. what are we doing? No, I agree with you. I just don't. I don't think it's that easy to just walk away from. I, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Like, do you go sign Matt Carpenter because there's not going to be shifts next year? I mean, is that is that what you ought to do? I'm like, like, how do you know what a perfect hitter is going to example? Perfect answer for a team in transition. Bring back Carp. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I don't know. Like, how do you look at hitters going into next year? Because here's my little pet theory: it's going to take five minutes of spring training for every team to all of a sudden go. Well, we're not going to shift the old way, but we're going to shift this way, sure. and we'll just shift with outfielders, or we'll just put, you know, whatever, just move that guy in, or they'll swap positions. And oh, good luck. You know, it's still going to be the same thing. Hey, Joey Votto, I'm just an outfielder hanging out here. I'll get my, you know, I'll get my ground balls on this way, but I don't know. Like, but right-handed hitters, is it going to be now different for them? Is that going to, is it still going to bother left-handed hitters in, a, in just in a new way? But now right-handed hitters are going to have far freer clear because teams are less likely to move that right fielder. I don't know, but I know that we're going to watch spring training and it'll be very clear what teams are working on and how they're going to get around this rule. So how do you sign a hitter? Like, what do you expect? It's, it's unknown. Maybe it's similar with a catcher. Like if you're going to commit four or five years, five years to a guy and Three of those years doesn't matter whether he just knows how to catch the ball because a computer's going to do all the other stuff. I, I don't. What does that look like? It, it's a fair question that you ask, but I, I just don't know where that is right now. Well, if you're signing anybody, any position player to a contract of longer than five years, he better sure as hell be somebody that you're okay with serving some of that time as a DA. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that that would I, I'd say that because it helps my argument. And that's the only reason I bring it up. Well, you could trade for a guy who isn't a free agent. I mean, like, you could trade for a Murphy who has years of control and is going to make a lot of money. That would be okay for the Cardinals to do. They can that, – that actually, like, is in their wheelhouse to overpay. It's okay to overpay with prospects to get a catcher that you think, okay, well, this is the guy who we have under control is going to be our guy for the next few years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harp on the overpay side for free agency. 
Because sure. like this is once again been a year that proves okay, Albert Pujols lives in a different universe. I think we're all in agreement there. Yeah, this is a year that proves again, once again, uh, doing that thing where you shop on that middle shelf of free agency is not something that really helps this team. No, Corey Dickerson, we we're all said and done. He played okay. He played okay in the playoffs. He did some. He look. He's he didn't. They didn't need Corey Dickerson. They had him. They tried as hard as hell to make it work. He came through and rewarded that that stubbornness. But they didn't need. You're not sitting back on man. Corey Dickerson was the reason this team. No, he he had a terrible part of the season. He had a good part of the season. He was ultimately forgettable as a as a player on this team. And they ended up producing a guy who 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 was probably better prepared for the moment and Juan Yepes internally. They've got to stop signing guys. They then and Newbar. Don't forget, like right. Newbar took totally. Dickerson's totally. kind of took Dickerson's job, or at least two, would have two names. <laughs> and when here comes Jordan Walker, yeah, and you know they've got to stop signing these guys who are replaceable by the midpoint of the season by the guys that they're drafting and developing and bringing up through their mm-hmm. ranks. And they've got to take that money and pool it toward pieces they don't have and can't be replaceable toward a third star. Toward or or strikeout guy who just mauls down people that you say no one has to wonder about who we're starting in game one of the postseason because everybody knows. Well, yeah. Like that, I mean, that's that's. I mean, is that Jacob Degrom? I don't know. Maybe it's Verlander if it's if the market if he if he wants to play. I don't know. But that's the kind of stuff that they've got to to pull the money toward is things they don't have coming. And you know, enough of these, you know, Drew Verhagens who are it's like people forget Drew Verhagens on on this team and. You know, in in some degree, maybe he turns out great, but Stephen Matz, mm-hmm. like Stephen Matz, he got injured. Maybe it's a different story if he's not. But they don't have, you know, a, a true top ace emerging on this team. Jack Flaherty's got to prove he can even ha- open up that door of that conversation again. If he can, he's not there now. Like they have guys who could be Stephen Matz, and they continue to add guys that they can produce. Go add guys you can't produce. That's that's the to me the hump they have to get over. Is it more risk? Yes. Has this fan base proven to you that they are gaga for a star? Yes. I mean, the Albert Pujols success should inspire the Cardinals to say, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, there's no other Pujols. I totally get it. But there are people, there are players who bring people to the ballpark. The Cardinals got two of them. They just found out two ain't enough, and they're losing one, maybe two. You know, Yachty is not doesn't do that offensively, but Yachty, a lot of people go to the ballpark team. He's gone now, so who's going to be up next? When Albert Pujols left after the 2011 season and the parade and all that, he, the next two years, Yachty and Molina finished top three in MVP voting. So, when Albert Pujols left for free agency off to the Angels, the Cardinals quickly pivoted to sign Carlos Beltran, who could be a Hall of Famer. And they had Matt Holliday, and they had Lance Berkman, and they had Yadier Molina on that team. Albert Pujols leaves this team now for retirement, having posted more than 20 home runs, having the, the remarkable second half after being one of the best, having what some of the high, what did he have? He was among the top four in RBIs, top five in home runs in the second half, and maybe had one of the best second halves of his entire career. Now he leaves, and they have Goldschmidt, Arenado, and is there a 
Carlos Beltran they have to add, or is there a Carlos Beltran they can tap into? Who? Because it's not Yadier Molina, it's not Lance Berkman, and they had to go outside and go shopping for Carlos Beltran. So and let Jordan Walker be the guy who turns that threesome into a foursome. Don't hope cast him into the being the third guy. Mm-hmm. That's that's the challenge. That's the the, the challenge for the Cardinals. This offseason. Um, just go trade for Mike Trout. It's fine. It's got sure, a nice, read about it's got a nice set contract, eight years, you know, only $37 million per year on that deal. It's going to be a bargain compared to whatever Judge and Otani get. So, you know, just expedite the uh, the Goldschmidt and uh, Arnado trades and, and go, get tra- go get somebody who can slot in with those guys and, and say, hey, we'll make it easier for – this to become a four or five person run of the lineup that is scary because right now it's two and two didn't get it done the cardinals i think it would behoove the cardinals to be as candidly frustrated about their recent lack of success in the postseason as they probably are i think that they're probably more disappointed with it than they let on and i think that's silly i think it's okay for the cardinals to say we're not happy with how this is going. And that doesn't mean that the regular seasons are failures. It doesn't mean, but, you know, if they're going to, if their approach is going to be, well, this, we'll just keep doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, there's going to be a lot of people who say that, what do you mean you're just going to do the same thing? That's, you know, that's, that's not what this should be about. And, and I agree with the people who feel that way. I, I think it's okay to say it's an awesome regular season. They were smart to bring back Albert. Um, it was a, it was a, season full of history and a lot of fun but still success failure glory history the history that matters most is all made after the regular season ends and you know that to me is where they're at are they going to be are they going to be the team that celebrates the regular season and treats the postseason as you know well whatever happens happens see you at spring training or are they going to be a team that says we are not happy with this trend line in the postseason, we know there's randomness in it, but there's not randomness to to the trend that we have, and it's not good enough. Oliver Marmol, from the very beginning, set a high bar, said that there is one team that leaves the season successful, and they intended to be that team, the team that won the World Series. Every The other 29 teams did not reach that goal. He succinctly said that, set that bar there, and then, when given a chance, repeated it. You're right. It would be something new to hear that from the people above him. Um, or they don't even need to see it. Their actions could speak loud enough to say that, you know, that they realize, okay, this, they feel like they're headed in the right direction logistically. You know, infrastructure, they feel they have a more modern approach to things. Well, every so often, you know, it's okay that you actually, like you said, respond to the history too, because look, the the postseason's changing. Atlanta's not going anywhere. The Dodgers aren't going anywhere. The Mets are going to outspend you at every corner. Those are three teams that aren't in your division, but they are in your way. Of a buy, and apparently the Padres are sitting on just a, 
uh, just a pool of money that just keeps spooling. Okay, when are the Padres going to stop? No, they're just going to keep spending like insanity. And, <laughs> yeah. and and some of it will work and some of it won't. But so that's four. Yep. And the Phillies can outspend you too. That's five. All of these teams are outside of your division, and you have been able to wrap yourself in the lovely cocoon of the NL Central and emerge every October as a butterfly with a crown, only to find the fly swatters of these bigger markets who just go, you know what, that's adorable, congrats on your division crown, but now more than ever, that doesn't mean as much. Three teams won 100 games. Is that going to change as teams stop tanking? Is the CBA going to have an effect? Maybe, but I bet you it's still going to take 96, 97 plus to get out of that first round and sit there and wait for somebody to come to you. You know what's a really good way to get through October is not have to get hot for three additional games. It's to only be a buzzsaw for three rounds, not play the probabilities of, oh, we might fall in line where we have to face a Wheeler and Nola and in the first round. That's a really a really good way to get hot in October is to avoid you know the freeze of being eliminated in the first round. That's where the Cardinals are right now. The game is changing, the structure is changing, and they have to rethink how they contend. And it's probably good for them to have to rethink how they contend with the top of the top of the National League and no longer think about how do we compete with Milwaukee. Yeah, they got to decide what their standard is in an era where the standards have raised. Yeah, that's nope. exactly nope. right. No pressure. They uh, have to be Budweiser who doesn't want to take on Milwaukee. They want to take on the world. Right. Yes. And they've, right. Got a, they've got a manager saying, "Sign us up," and it's like, "Well, he doesn't. He doesn't hand out the. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't hand out the contracts. He did, however, blow game one. Well, and I love Ollie, but but that he did he did blow game one. We didn't talk know, about that. Like we have to mention people like, "We're going to talk about Helsley. They're carrying I mean, water that, right before bomb. That's the moment, right? Or after the slider in the dirt. I mean, once you know, yeah. I mean, you're one two on Harper. So okay, he's pitching well then. But once there's a sign of trouble and uh, you know i asked helsley like what what could you have done in that spot if you feel your finger starting to give way uh what what can you wave them in and he said you're a competitor and that you're consumed by i'm going to get through this so i mean they just kind of got caught in that you know that vice of he's going to get through this he's a competitor oh it's just that one pitch but then when that slider goes in the dirt i mean how do you how do you not know there's a problem i mean everybody in the ballpark went oh boy second walk has to be the last one i wouldn't have asked him to get multiple innings on the finger oh but that's easier to say now it looked good with the outs and eighth we were talking about 30 plus pitches for a guy with an unpredictable hand issue on his throwing hand if you're going to send him back up for the ninth totally understood why after they had the eighth but you've got to have somebody ready ready or getting ready bullpen pitches weren't thrown until the bases were loaded can't happen and i don't think it'll happen again probably not and i think i think that will be if if you're looking for an optimistic take there i bet that's the last time that happens to ollie marmol oh i will yeah if you want to i i would agree i I think it was good that you didn't see the king of the world stuff you know where there was nobody warming up at all and it was this is my guy and this is how we're going to get through and and he talked about that the next day saying it's a competitive business if helsley's looking over his shoulder fine get the outs you know but we didn't see the king of the world stuff and so maybe they just scramble 
you know the replacements a little quicker is what you're saying yep get the get the was it the prints then get them up and moving quicker air yeah the air hot air now you're just doing word association. All right. Oh, La- of our podcast. Last last thing. Oh, we got one more? One more. How are you going to remember this year? I mean, you mentioned a lot of fun, a lot of history. Um, you have the the last tour. It sure, sure sets up for some more nostalgia next season, maybe. Um, if Wainwright comes back, as he tends to be leaning, though he hasn't given any um, indication. Those tweets were Adam Wainwright talking himself into coming back next year it's preparing yeah preparing the ground yeah Yeah. um so how do you look at this season i mean albert pujols got the send-off individually that was remarkable i mean that it doesn't get any better for that and now he's off to be an employee with the angels but it doesn't get any better so how do you look at this season i think uh, to borrow a word from the cardinals it was and i agree with them a magical regular season and uh, more of the same postseason it, you can't. I don't want to take away from the regular season. It was incredibly special. This reunion, this reminder of what this historic player and this baseball, you know, crazed community share. Um, the the milestones for Adam and Yadi. I mean, the, there were some truly special moments that were be remembered forever. But you know, ultimately, at least for me, the postseason is still always going to, you know be a little more important than the regular season and how can you feel good about the postseason it was a a team that you were ahead of in the bracket you were playing at home where you'd been one of the best teams at home all season um, against a team that struggled massively on the road a team that had some real soft spots entering and 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 you got shoved out in in front of your home crowd and it really to me felt like you know i I was never the mindset. This is a fa- season is a failure if the Cardinals don't win the World Series. I don't. The Dodgers can say that. I, I don't think the Cardinals were that way. But it does in the regular season will be a failure no matter what. But it felt like a huge letdown that these guys didn't at least get to advance. I mean, going losing to the Braves, you know, would be a different story if you if you win this thing and go go play the Braves and leave it all out there. I don't think anyone is sour. At the end of the season, at the end of the postseason, this one felt—it just felt like exactly what ultimately they started the season saying it wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. That it's hard for me. I mean, that sounds cynical, but it's hard for me to get over that. That they stood there the day Albert Pujols walked through those doors at Roger Dean Stadium and said, "This isn't about memories. This isn't about nostalgia. This is about winning it all." And they didn't even take the first step toward doing that once the regular season ended and that's that's disappointing but you can still you know that's not going to rob the parents who got to take their kids to see Pujols play that's not going to take that memory away and it's not going to take away Adam and Yachty making those starts together so I think it can be a little bit of both but the trend of of postseason you know nothing to write home about continues for these for this team that's the story Thank you, Ben. That's Ben Fredrickson, St. Louis Post-Dispatch sports columnist. You can read all of his work at stltoday.com and in the pages of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. 
This has been a podcast that is kind of prelude and part of the season wrap-up that is coming this weekend at stltoday.com and in the Post-Dispatch Sunday edition, which you can purchase on newsstands on Saturday, or if you're a subscriber, have it hit your porch on Sundays, or find it at stltoday.com and in the Cardinals app, stltoday.com app, anywhere you get access to our coverage. STL Pinch Hits is another option. You will find constant Cardinals coverage there going into the offseason and the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis will continue as weekly through October and into the World Series and then onward into the offseason with GM meetings and winter meetings, which I heard tell you you're, you're going to be hanging out at. You're going to be coming along to the world, to the to the winter meeting, correct? Hope so. Well, I'll take you to the lifeguard statue in San Diego. Oh, man, you old whistle slinger you. <laughs> That's Ben Fredrickson. Thank you very much. I will talk to you soon. Stay healthy, stay informed, stay tuned.